Hello everyone, welcome to That Food Podcast. My name's Stu and I'm joined as always by my good friend Matt. Matt, how are you doing? Happy post-Easter and also happy new tax year. <laughs> well, that's no, a big one for you obviously, being a, an accountant, um, amongst many other things of course. But yeah, happy Easter to uh, you and all our listeners and um, well this week I've had lots and lots of cream eggs and um, not one to back down from a challenge. At one point I actually had three in my mouth at one time. Um, so it's been a good week, Stu, as you can tell, from a dietary <laughs> point of view. I mean, I'm just trying to work out the logistics of three cream eggs in one go. I mean, that's cream well, eggs. Well, I can tell you. So oh. think of a hamster and how they store food into the cheeks, right? So yeah. I had one egg in each cheek, and then you've got space down the middle as well. I just pop one in the middle, and there you go. I look like a, a character from Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> These are life goals. <laughs> life goals. And, uh, you know, through this podcast, I can hopefully teach others the way. It's a real shame that now we're post-Easter, there'll be not as many supplies of cream eggs uh, knocking around so people can go and uh, try this. But if you do try this, uh, <laughs> send us a picture. Uh, share it on our social media platforms, at that food pod across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to see your faces filled with Cadbury's cream eggs. <laughs> I will put a small disclaimer on this one. Don't choke, okay? <laughs> I mean, surely, is that, are we going to have to put this disclaimer now on every recipe we suggest as well? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Although I, I suppose more risk comes with... Uh, multiple uh, Easter eggs in your mouth at one go, I suppose. But yeah, general rule, don't choke, guys, all right? I think last year, cream eggs were... Well, sorry, in 2019, cream eggs were part of my downfall because I'd never really been overly interested in cream eggs. And I think they've changed the recipe and I've got a bit of a sweet tooth and I think they've made them sweeter from when I was younger. I know some people yeah. are not a fan of cream eggs because they think like the inside, I've seen some comments suggesting like the inside is the same consistency as snot, but oh, I disagree. No, I, I really like them. Obviously, I really like them. Um, but I do remember now you said that, that the uh, the recipe did change as a bit of hoo-ha about it on the internet, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, I do remember that. But the, the origin of these eggs, we actually received um, 48 uh, Cadbury's cream eggs in the post from Amy's mum and dad as a little Easter gift. Uh, so we are slowly working our way through them. Well, it doesn't sound like it's that slowly. <laughs> if you're counting <laughs> well, no. three at a time. No, no, it's not that slowly actually. And um, you know, we're trying to find ways to use them up as well. So yesterday we had porridge, but with the addition of a Cadbury's cream egg. <laughs> 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 it's not been a good week diet wise for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's not been a not been overly uh great week um in our household. Unfortunately, my daughter's nursery on Saturday morning uh sent us an email suggesting there'd been a covid outbreak at the nursery, which was a nightmare. Oh, but no. Oh, no. everything seemed fine, so it said that my daughter would have to isolate for 10 days and only get a test if she showed symptoms. And me and my wife could go out on our merry way. Again, how these COVID rules work is a bit bizarre that if someone has to isolate, but technically if they've not had a positive test, others in the household can still knock about. I remember earlier in the um, tail end of last year, my wife's NHS app pinged and it said she'd been in contact with someone, so she had to isolate for 10 days. But me and Harriet could just go and do as we please. It seems backwards, but... We're okay then. Easter Sunday comes. We have our Easter egg hunt. I did some fantastic hiding of eggs around the house. 
and then our daughter started coughing quite a lot. So my wife, being oh, no. a pharmacist, uh, did a lateral flow test. I've never seen anything turn out positive so quickly. Went and took her to do the official test. So regrettably, regrettably, my daughter has tested positive for coronavirus, despite the fact that it's been 12 months it's been knocking around. We've hardly left the house, and my daughter's just been at nursery. So luckily, she is relatively fine. She's small cough that seems to be disappearing but it has just led to um as you said the impact on diet especially that easter sunday so obviously getting her that lateral flow test and then you know no child likes anything stuck stuffed up their nose unless it's their finger Um, (laughs) and and then trying to convince her to get in the car to go and get the proper test at the test center near where we live was was quite hard work but you know quite fatigued and it's quite difficult to not cannonball a lot of chocolate especially when there's lots um knocking around but i like the fact that you're utilizing um leftover eggs to go into porridge and other breakfast bits is that the only food creation you've made this week or have you been busy in the kitchen doing other things well we've uh we've been living off the i don't know if you remember last week i mentioned that we were getting a um like a easter uh, hamper from a company called foodery so we've been living off of that and having quite a lot of um sort of snacky or what we call picnic teas uh do you guys do these sorts of teas at home so you know kind of get bits and bobs like pizzas crackers and cheeses and things like that um we call them picnic teas do uh do you guys have a a a name for these it is exactly what we had on easter sunday we had picnic tea because we were supposed to be having my mum my brother and his husband come over uh, to sit in the garden at a social distance and have a little tea party for Easter and a bit of a delayed one for Harriet's birthday. But obviously, plans changed. So we were left with uh, picnic supplies for six between three of us. <laughs> so nice. we had a lovely picnic tea. <laughs> Everyone loves a bit good. of a bit of a scotch egg, uh, a yep. couple of little, um, had some little spinach and feta, uh, little flatbreads, which were very, very tasty. Very nice. Lovely. Yeah, we had... Um so in the, the hamper that we received, we had uh, duck and orange pate, which is very nice with um, some oat biscuits that came along with the box as well. Various different cheeses. Um, there was a mixed tapas as well, which uh, was things like olives, um, which the olives were really good, really, really good. Um, I never used to be an olive fan up until probably a few years ago. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate them now. I think it's kind of a bit of an acquired taste. What's, what's your standing on olives? It's the sort of thing that I think I should like, but I can't stand. I oh, believe it's yeah. the sort of thing that if people look to me and go, yeah, he's going to be an olive snob, but really I've got a very, very intolerant palate for olives. I think they, as you said, it's very much an acquired taste for an olive. And it's a shame. I And I wonder if, again, it's the sort of thing that if you go to Mediterranean countries where olives play a much more significant role in the uh, the day-to-day diet of people where they're fresher in better conditions like uh, the varieties would be a bit different because obviously i think in this country um here in the uk it's the, the olives are like um well you've got one or two s- sort of standard variety and then you're paying a lot more money for artisan stuff as you go through yeah i think you're right it definitely divides opinion on people's palates uh but I think you, you're right in saying that we don't necessarily get the best stuff over here. Um, or, you know, as you say, pay a little bit extra, you do get um, you get the better uh, version of that. But, yeah, we don't always get the best. And it does definitely divide opinion. 
Um, the other thing that we had uh, with these hampers that we ordered from Foodery was um, a uh, half leg of lamb as well. So there's a roasting box. So we did that on Sunday. I say we. Now, I've mentioned before that I'm not a massive fan of cooking roast dinners, uh, unlike yourself, Stu, who's, who's uh, very comfortable in that position, aren't you? But I've never been a big fan of it. So actually, Amy's in charge of this one, and I kind of just floated around the kitchen pretending to be helpful, <laughs> <laughs> kind of stirring stuff now and again, you know. Um, but we, we, we took the lamb and we um, spiked it with garlic and rosemary for, for an hour before cooking as well, which gave it a really nice extra taste to it, which was very good. And then we had the usual trimmings like um, roast potatoes, parsnips, uh, carrots, cabbage and cauliflower as well, which again came with all the, the hamper box. So we've just been living off basically this order that we made, uh, which arrived, I think it's Thursday, Friday. So it's seen us through the whole week. It's been really good. Um, we still have some veg left over, which I'm sure we use up over the next few days. Um, and then with the leftover lamb, uh, that actually went into the dish of the week that we're going to be discussing later in the pod. Um, and also last night I made a lamb stock as well with the bones and bits of leftover veg and what have you. So um, yeah, it's gone a long way. It's been really, really good. Uh, sounds awesome. I've been, well, I, I was planning to be quite busy with a few bits and then sort of the rug's been pulled out and underneath me through uh, having to cook with what I have in the house for the time being as I can't of leave. But luckily, But luckily on the Saturday... Um, I was going off to do a, a few Easter deliveries, so I walked through town, and, and ever since, and we mentioned this uh, last week off the pod, that we'd watched uh, Bake Off, and then I'd seen the lattice pie, and I I had it in my mind that I really, really wanted to make a pie, but then, as I was walking through my local town and past the greengrocers, I saw what looked like some absolutely beautiful rhubarb, and I thought, you know what I am going to make? I do want to make a pie, but I'm going to make an apple and rhubarb crumble to go with my dinner this nice. evening. So I picked up a couple of sticks of rhubarb, knowing I had some uh, quite a few apples at home to to get cracking on with that. Delivered the Easter eggs, went home. Ah, oh, there's there's nothing better than a decent crumble. But and um, I'm going to try and post this poll on Facebook. For some reason, I can't do it on the app, but I'm going to do it. Um, uh, later today on on our Facebook page, so that's uh, facebook.com forward slash that food pod. I'm quite particular with crumble. I always see that you need to have more of the crumble than the fruit in it for a, for, for my personal preference. Um, I have people roll their eyes at me when I'm in, in the olden days when we can go to restaurants and have meals where I'd always <laughs> see if there was a crumble as a pudding, I'd always say to the waiter or waitress, What's the crumble to fruit ratio? <laughs> <laughs> is that when they spat in your food afterwards? <laughs> well, then the the sensible thing is never order the crumble if it's not more crumble than fruit. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> where where do you stand on this? Are you more crumble, more fruit, or are you wanting a fifty fifty split? Yeah, I'm going to go fifty fifty on this one. Um, sounds like I'm sitting on a fence, but now I do enjoy kind of a good mixture of both. I like the 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 sweet from the the fruit the sugared fruit um, but also i really like the crunch that comes with the the topping as well so i think when you get a combination of both uh you're on to a winner and of the traditional three of uh, accompaniments to a crumble do you go ice cream cream or custard i'm a custard sort of chap um i would as a second option, go ice cream. Cream would be my final choice, though. Not that I'm dead against cream, but 
Yeah, custard is more for me. Now, the question I'm going to put back to you, um, I suppose, firstly, what would you go for? I mean, I it's a tie for me between custard and ice cream. But okay. I'd probably, if it's a case of I've only got a tin of custard or a tub of ice cream, I'd probably go for the tub of ice cream. If it was fresh custard that was available, it would always be fresh custard over tinned custard, obviously, and then ice cream. Okay, fine. But if you're having custard, okay, would you have it cold or would you have it warm with the, the pudding? If the crumble has just come out of the oven, I would have hot custard with the hot crumble. If I had the pudding, the crumble cold, so leftovers, or as I like to call it, an evening snack, <laughs> I'd, I'd have cold custard because I just think that that's what you're after. I'm, I'm so happy you... with custard in either temperature. So you like to match like for like temperature wise though. You like to correspond your temperatures between your custard and your crumble. With custard, yeah. Obviously I'm not gonna have warm ice cream with warm <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> obviously not. Let's uh, let's stick to custard for now. Now I like cold custard with warm dessert or hot dessert. Is that crazy? I really no. like it. I like the the difference between the two, the contrast. Uh it real really appeals to me. And also, I suppose, if you've got really, really hot stewed apple or stewed fruits of any description, at least the cool custard would help counteract the, the, the heat from the uh, just being taken out from the, from the serving plate. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's an aspect of it as well. But I introduced this idea to Amy, and she thought it was a little bit weird initially. But she's coming along on board with this idea now as well. So, yeah, if you haven't tried it, give it a shot. I think you'd be surprised. Now, I thought I'd mention a few things. I didn't mention this to you, to you off the pod. Um, so over the weekend, I was obviously speaking to my mum because she was going to be coming over here. But I mentioned the food podcast and she said, and it's almost like it's a glowing review, Matt. I said, right. do you listen to it? She said, I do listen to it. And sometimes I listen to all of it. <laughs> 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 That's good enough for me. That's, that's almost a five star, isn't it? <laughs> so if you like what we do and if you want, listen to a little bit of the podcast or all of it and like what we do, uh, make sure you like, subscribe on your um, podcast app of preference. And if you do like what we do, if you can leave us a five star review, it really helps us get found by new listeners from around the world. So if you are liking what we do, uh, let us know. Yes, please. Thank you very much. So I thought... We'd start Food in the News with uh, something that is now quite relevant to me and will probably be relevant to quite a lot of our listeners. So one of the symptoms of COVID is that you lose your taste of smell. You lose taste and you lose smell. And then it takes quite a while for this to come back. But then some people suffer from a condition called um, parosmia which means they find smells they used to enjoy unpleasant. So especially things like strong scents like onion and garlic that are going to be sort of the base of quite a lot of meals that people prepare, these then are off the table because they can't stand them post-COVID recovery. So what I've discovered and what's been released um, earlier this week is that um, Life Kitchen have taken a have created a book promoting cooking and, and eating well for all and giving them tools to feed themselves sort of tasty and nutritious food and it 
supplies alternative flavors and different textures alongside life kitchen sort of principles of taste and flavor which is umani smell uh, stimulation texture and layering flavor now um we'll post this out on our social media uh, channels uh, later today but this cookbook is free you can download um, a digital copy or if you want a physical copy you just pay for the postage so it's a not-for-profit organization um so i'm going to have a look through that myself uh, later i'm going to download that but if you're struggling post-covid or, or anything like some people have had flus i know people who've had operations and they've lost sort of their sweet tooth or they the certain flavors that they they just can't stand or that they can't stand the smell of um i'd recommend giving this book a look because if there's something in here that can give you an alternative to get back into that that habit of enjoying food then i think it's a really good thing to do and as i said and it's a, as it's a not-for-profit as well i think it's a really good cause again hopefully the recipes are going to be tasty and i said we'll post a link out on our social media platforms um after the pod that sounds great and um uh, not to put it on a spot here, and if you don't know, you don't know. But do is there science behind why uh, our tastes and smells are affected post COVID? Um, particularly looking at the is it charisma you said earlier? Um, yeah, how we find smells that we once enjoyed um, not as enjoyable anymore. Is it a sort of oversensitization of the um, receptors? I'm honestly not sure, but I, I can only assume what you've said there is as accurate as we could get without going into a, a scientific sort of dig, a deep in, a dig deep into this one. So I, I'm not sure, but it does seem to be one of the side effects, especially those who are suffering from long COVID. It seems to be sort of the sense of smell and taste either t- don't come back for a prolonged period of time or some haven't even got it back yet. Mm-hmm. And then some, it's just the fact that aromas and flavors that they used to enjoy are now repulsive to them so it's, it's definitely worth a look at the cookbook and again anything anyone who can get a recipe book for free to help you inspire cooking i get the impression these are just gonna be simple easy recipes so if you're not a confident cook as well could be a good starting point to get into home cooking yeah all around good stuff um it's amazing isn't it how covid has so many different effects on different people and how it can affect people completely oppositely as well so you can take a, the, a sim, a, the same senses and they can have two separate effects depending on how it's affected them personally um so much we don't understand about this disease though and obviously there's going to be research into it for years and years but it's great that these guys are trying to give you ideas and incentives to get back in a kitchen and you know perhaps refine your your taste if you like Moving on to another part of uh, something that appeared in the news, and you might have seen it across social media platforms, and I'll just give you a name of the person I'm going to talk about, uh, Matt. Are you aware of someone called Max Stanford? No. Why? What's he done? Well, I believe you're about to become his cream egg rival, because on Easter Sunday... Uh, Max Stanford created an online buzz as he ate 50 Cadbury's cream eggs in 24 minutes. Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty good. And I thought three in my mouth at one time was good, but okay. Fair play, Max. Good work. So, out of interest, obviously you said that uh, Amy's parents had sent you down 40 egg, 48 cream eggs. In 50 cream eggs, 
there is the equivalent of 1.3 kilograms of sugar. So Max ate 1.3 kilograms of sugar alone in 24 minutes. Um, Would you believe it that the after effects he felt pretty ropey for the next few days and had what you could imagine a massive sugar crash? Yes. (laughs) Consuming all of these eggs. Just what I was going to say. He must have crashed really hard after all that sugar. So, obviously, you've had your award-winning three cream eggs in a mouth at one time. How many cream <laughs> eggs do you think you could consume in one session? Oh, um, <laughs> it wants it. to be honest, I, after those three, that was certainly enough for me. Uh, uh, well, until the next morning, at least, anyway. So. <laughs> I can only imagine eating 24. No, sorry, 50 in 24 minutes. Um, no, I... That does not appeal to me. But again, never wanted to back down from a challenge. <laughs> it seems that he was inspired by a lot of these man versus food challenges. And I remember right. seeing a while ago these documentaries about these speed food eaters. And the thing that astounded me about these food eaters, I'd you have this sort of stereotypical image that these speed bulk eaters are going to be quite hefty, quite large people but so many of them were stick thin and they were like oh i could just smash this uh huge four thousand calorie breakfast in 12 minutes and it's like, oh my goodness and yeah i they like don't food. always fit the bill do they no so what you might think they must have hollow legs or something to store <laughs> <they eat. laughs> 23 sausages in the left leg 17 <laughs> rashes of bacon in the other but it just made me think that you know it's it's cool that they can do something. I'm sure that it's. I mean, it's a very competitive market. Like these competitions, and I think people start winning decent prize money for doing it. But I like food too much to rush eating it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's nice to savor, isn't it? Um, but I guess the drive there is. It's a challenge because you can for one of them, isn't it? But also, if there's like prizes involved, and I suppose a little bit of food fame as well, you know. Yeah. It leads me on to my final piece of the news, and it sort of harks back to what I referred to last week when you uh, might have uh, acquired, but I should have cho- used the term foraged, um, <laughs> some bay leaves uh, on your travels. Yes, which came so, in handy for the dish that we cooked this week, actually. So I wasn't aware. So obviously foraging is legal. So going out foraging on, on a, in public land is fine, absolutely fine. But I didn't know there was a limit. Did you know oh. there was a consumption limit of foraging in the UK? Uh, vaguely familiar. I think it's so that things aren't over-foraged. So perhaps some of the rarer species um, aren't foraged to the point of not being able to thrive and exist anymore. Yeah, I, I found out that it's 1.7 kilograms. And the reason why this came out is that in Essex... Uh, police have handed out fines totaling more than £2,000 for illegal mushroom picking. So 27 foragers were given £80 fines in Epping Forest over the last year, with some carrying more than five kilograms of supplies that they've foraged. Wow, yeah. And if everyone's doing the same, then obviously it's not going to be enough mushrooms or whatever um, for everyone, is there? So yeah, I can see why it's done. Yeah, and obviously foraging's become quite popular especially um celebrity chefs like Hugh Furley Whittestall who's very big on foraging um 
But it seems that a lot of people were foraging, uh, obviously for conservation and environmental reasons, which is great. But some were foraging these uh, these mushrooms due to the uh, hallucinogenic effects that they can have. So <laughs> obviously, um, <clears throat> the fungi being protected as part of this. It's great to see that you foraged your bay leaves uh, last week and did not pilfer or acquire them through auspicious means. <laughs> I did, and there certainly wasn't 1.7 kg or whatever it was you mentioned earlier uh, in total there. So I think I'm safe. I'll stop looking over my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I thought it was quite nice, and it's um, the idea of foraging in on public land. I think people just need to be a bit careful because. A lot of people will go out and try and do things like this. Just be aware of what you're picking. Don't pick certain types of mushroom. Don't pick certain types of berries. I'd say as a, again, just a general warning, similar to don't choke if you put three cream eggs in your mouth. If you're out (laughs) foraging, if you know what it is, pick it. If you're not sure, don't. There there are some great apps um, knocking around on phones. So, for example... um, iNaturalist is one. So again, you can take a shot of what you find, see what, uh, if you've got a decent internet connection, upload it, see what the app thinks it is. So again, if you're unsure, it might give you, you know, a better idea. But again, always be sure what you're picking and also make sure it is public land and not private land that you are foraging on. Yeah, again, top tips from that food podcast. I actually use iNaturalist app and it is very good. So, um, Recently, for one reason or another, I've been trying to increase my plant ID skills. And it, yeah, as Stu said, it's fantastic. Take a picture of what you're looking at if you're not sure. And they'll give you um, give you an answer as to what it is. Or if they're not entirely sure from the picture you've taken, they do narrow it down as well. So you have kind of a choice between um, different species, subspecies and things like that. So from there, you can kind of surmise what it might be. Um, but yeah, if you are foraging, um, stay safe. Make sure you checking out what you are taking and don't take too much leave some for others to enjoy as well so other than the uh foraged bay leaves uh, any other foraged ingredients in this week's recipe or was this purely from your uh, easter box that you ordered uh, no this is um this is all from my easter box the something i wish i could have foraged was some celery because i didn't actually have any in the delivery um, and, and usually we didn't have any in the fridge either because we normally have some in. Because um, I don't know if you know this, but celery seems to be in a lot of things, like in a lot of dishes. Um, I guess it adds flavour because it's quite like, often in soups and stocks and, um, yeah, stews like we cooked this week as well. Um, so if I could have foraged something, it would have been that. The other thing about celery, and it's a bit of a weird tangent, but I'm starting to think I might refuse to buy it because it's always wrapped in so much plastic, isn't it, in supermarkets? It's incredible how much it is. Essentially, you could then use it as like a sandwich bag, the same size as maybe a, a small loaf of bread would go in. Yeah, exactly. Um, too much packaging for something that, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think it doesn't add a lot of value to stuff. I'm sure it must be a huge reason why it's used in so many things. Again, it must add flavour, but... Um, I certainly don't think this stew was affected by not having the celery in, involved. No, I I have celery in my fridge, and I think I mentioned this on our first ever podcast. Raw celery, I hate. I think celery is disgusting. If you've got celery on a cheese board and it touches anything, then you've just got the taste of celery, and it just ruins a good cheese board. Celery ruins 
most things. But again, as always, it's important to use the ingredients that are available for what we do on the podcast. So I chopped up my two sticks of celery to put in my stew to see what would happen as I as I cooked away. Do you find it affects the taste so much? Uh, I mean, from your point of view of not enjoying celery anyway, does it gross you out when you have to eat it or do you pick it out or or do you find it kind of the flavour um, disappears with the cooking process? Raw celery, I just remove it from the plate, give it to someone else at the table or put it into um, you know the home compost recycling for, to make sort of decent compost for the garden. Uh, cooked into things? Obviously, a lot of people, when you're making soups, it's blitzed in so you can't tell it's there. This dish, it was there. And it absorbed a lot of the other flavours. So I, luckily, couldn't really tell there was celery in the dish when we got to the uh, the serving section of it. Good, good. Um, yeah, so this week we cooked uh, lamb and red wine stew with fluffy dumplings. So aside from the uh, celery issues there, this... Um, this dish promised to be uh, very simple to prepare and it promised to give consistently good results and also a great way to use up any leftovers, which is what I did with the stuff that we um, cooked for our roast. Now, we've done a few sort of stews and things like that, so I'm not going to go too much into history of stews um, because I think we've already covered kind of the basics on that. Quite often used as um, a way to uh, use up leftovers which is a great thing something we touch on quite often on the pod so I thought I'd actually just look at some sort of fun um, Easter food based facts uh, just to kind of give us a little bit of background and some sort of uh, yeah again food based facts uh, surrounding Easter so stew touching on Cadbury's cream eggs again and I promise <laughs> we are not <laughs> we're not sponsored by them this year or anything like that although it would be nice so Cadbury's if you do want to get in touch then uh, we're at that food podcast on all social media platforms um how many cream eggs do you think are produced each year Stu? I have no idea so on a daily basis the factory based in Birmingham in the UK they make 1.5 million every day which totals 500 million cream eggs each year if you were to pile them on top of each other it would be 10 times higher than mount everest apparently <laughs> i mean it's an easy way to scale it you just eat your way down <laughs> yeah that's true i mean <laughs> climbing up it might be quite difficult but yeah and i can that's eat- incredible <laughs> um another fact good one i like this one this is interesting i've not heard this before but Obviously, when you think of Easter, what do you think of food-wise? So what's on your, you know, it, what comes to mind when you think of Easter foods, Stu? Hot cross buns, chocolate eggs, lamb. Yep, spot on, things like that. And I'm sure we have our own interpretations of foods in Easter. Um, but did you know that pretzels are also a well-known Easter snack in Germany? I did not know this. So I thought it was an interesting one. So Pretzels are associated with Easter because the twists uh, resemble arms crossing in prayer. Um, so from the 1950s, it's tradition for Germans to eat a pretzel and a hard-boiled egg for dinner on Good Friday. I did not know that. I mean, I think I'll probably stick to the hot cross bun for the, uh, for the Good Friday, but I do like a good pretzel. I do like yeah. a good pretzel. Yeah, I thought it was just interesting about the... the prayer um you know the, the twist in the in the design of the pretzel uh 
thought to represent the the, the arms crossing in prayer. So uh, I thought it was a good one. And finally, last one for you, Stu, before we get into discussing the dish this week a bit more. Have you ever ever wondered who started the trend of tucking into Easter shaped eggs on Easter Sunday? Was it the girl bunny who used to be the Cadbury's caramel bunny <laughs> from back in the day? <laughs> well, according to my research, she hasn't been mentioned. Um, but it's actually in the 19th century uh, that Fry, uh, of Fry's of the Fry family of Bristol, uh, ran the largest chocolate factory in the world and produced the very first chocolate egg in 1873. It was two years later in 1875 that Cadbury's saw the potential in this idea and started making their own Easter eggs. And hence why we now have 1.5 million Cadbury's cream eggs produced each day. I'm, I'm astounded by those stats. But then I also started thinking as well from an Easter egg standpoint, a lot of people are very um, loyal to a brand. So a lot of people will always say, I prefer the Cadbury's chocolate in the Easter egg, or I prefer a Nestle chocolate. I'd say the only reason why I lean towards Cadbury is because they've already pre-split the egg. So it's easy to split an Easter egg in half and have some and save some for after you finish the other bit. (laughs) I do prefer Cadbury's chocolate uh, in the egg. But here's a question for you, going back to the hot-cold debate earlier. Do you put your Cadbury's egg in the fridge to cool down before you eat it oh interesting so i do for my easter eggs i don't um mainly because i think (laughs) what if what if sometimes the fridge leaks anything and i get the cardboard box all mucky uh but i do put things like chocolate buttons or more teasers in a fridge yeah this is another thing it seems to divide opinion because i prefer to have cold chocolate i enjoy the snap and the crunch but some people enjoy warm chocolate, so it's a little bit melted. Get mucky fingers that way. It doesn't work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, this divides the Huntley household. So Amy is a warm chocolate type of girl, and I'm definitely a chocolate in the fridge type of chap. But moving into our recipe of the week. So again, we this week we cooked a lamb and red wine stew, and we had a side of fluffy dumplings with that as well so this is a jamie oliver website uh recipe sorry on his website and he gives the option to either do a creamy mash on top or to go with fluffy dumplings which in this instance we did so some of the nutritional uh facts for this recipe did you get a chance to look at these Uh, i didn't know so calorie wise not too bad for an evening meal. Do you want to take a quick stab at this? 550? <laughs> Not bad, actually. So 501. Um, so depending on male or females, about 20, 25% of your sort of daily intake for calories. Quite a lot of saturated fats in this. So um, out of the 22.8 grams of fat... 8.4 gram of that is saturated. So that's a 42% of your saturated fat intake, which um, obviously comes from uh, the, the fatty meat, I, I, I would suggest. Um, salt and sugar, not too bad. Proteins, quite high. So 31.8 grams of protein, which is 64% of your, um, 
again, your daily intake of protein. So pretty good, not too bad. Um, and carbs, a 9% of your daily intake at 22.6 grams. Um, how did you find this one to cook this week's Jew? And we've talked about the ingredients previously, but did you have any trouble getting hold of anything um, or was it all plain sailing? Again, it did promise to be simple and from my point of view, it's fairly straightforward this one. This was plain sailing for me. I had most of these ingredients already in my cupboards or the fridge at home. I already had some rosemary in stock as well to put in at the um, for the base for the stew. Very simplistic. And the good thing about this is it's such a slow cook, long-winded dish. I started making this after lunch on Easter Monday. And by dinner time, it was ready ready to go. And it's so effortless to do it. Once you've got everything cooked in, so you do your veg first, add in your meat and your flour, add in your wine, add in your tomatoes afterwards. Then it just goes in the oven. For You don't have to do anything for another two hours till you take the lid off. And at that stage was when I went to make the dumplings. What I would say is making the dumplings... I've never grated butter or that volume of butter before. <laughs> I was wondering if you might mention this because I've actually got this in my notes as well. So grating butter, that is a first for me and it sounds like uh, a new thing for you as well. I, I did have to warn my wife as she came in because she was like, oh, I'll have a bit of cheese. It's not cheese. <laughs> it's not cheese. <laughs> and in fairness, I've made this error in the past before. So I thought something on my plate was a lump of cheese from like a cheese board or something like that and as i picked it up took a massive bite out of it thinking it was a bit of cheese it was actually just a flat bit of butter <laughs> so that was delicious <laughs> that time oh it's not nice is it when you just have a whole lump of butter in your mouth um yeah uh, the main dish for me is very simple very straightforward i did get to use my new cast iron casserole dish which um Ooh. was a delight so um amy and i have been married six years uh, this week and apparently six years. So do you know these, like each year kind of represents a different material. So I think like the first one is paper and second one might be wood or what have you. Apparently six years is iron. So um, Amy very kindly bought me a new cast iron pot. Um, she gave it to me a little bit early uh, before the actual day of celebration, um, just so I could use it to cook this dish. That was a nice little touch. Um, Were you brave and for a joke gave her an actual iron? <laughs> Stew, don't. <laughs> <laughs> or, or did you forget completely and not get her a gift at all? Oh, I don't know what's worse. Um, <laughs> well, it's tomorrow is the the actual day of celebration, and I've not been great this this year uh, getting gifts. So I'm going to nip out this afternoon and see what I can find in Tesco <laughs> or something similar. <laughs> I know I'm I'm terrible. I'm normally pretty good. I will put that disclaimer out there. Um, but just this year, I guess just with things being a bit up in the air, I haven't been quite as adventurous. It's actually her birthday next week, so I do plan to um, make up for a, a few brownie points um, next week for her birthday. Um, if you're still allowed to, in the house, <laughs> if I'm still allowed to go, yeah, in the house. But going back to dumplings before I uh, incriminate myself any further. Um, <laughs> actually, talking of Amy, so discovered a bit of a north-south dialect uh, difference. So um, I mentioned before she's from the northeast and I'm, I'm from the southwest originally. Um, but we would refer to 
dumplings as dumplings. Do you have any other dialect or names that you might call dumplings at Tallstreet down in the southeast corner of England? I mean, the southeast, it's always been referred to as, as dumplings, but I have had members of my family refer to it as cobbler. Oh, that's interesting. So Amy uh, would refer to them as puddings in the corner. Um, I don't know why. I asked her, why did you call them puddings in the corner? She I don't really know because it's on a round plate. Um, but again it's just one of those weird kind of different dialects different areas of the country and we're such a small country but there's so many different ideas for different names and dialects Um, but I just find all that sort of stuff quite interesting Um, with the making of the dumplings so you've got the grated butter you've got the flour and you're, you're working it into breadcrumbs now something that the saint or Simon said on Twitter was that a kind of We've been doing biscuits and other things like that over the past uh, few weeks as part of the podcast. And he's been cooking along with us as well. And he's saying, like, kind of doing all these things is kind of, um, I don't know, prepared for making these dumplings. And I kind of know what he means because making them or making anything involving flour and butter, when you start to bring it all together, you you'll, you have that moment where you think, is this actually going to come together? Is it going to turn into breadcrumbs or whatever, the, you know, the uh, consistency is suggested in the recipe? Um, but I think with like the experience that we've had with cooking all these different dishes, there is a certain confidence that comes with it. But there certainly is always a moment where you think, is this actually going to do what it's kind of needing to do? Do you know what I mean? I was, I was sat there, like you said, this is a prime example with the dumplings, where I was sifting them through. And I, I always, um, when I'm trying to do any form of bread cu- crumb and I'm rubbing in the bowl, I don't have my fingers pointing down. I always have my hands in the bowl and my fingers are pointing towards the ceiling. So obviously it's very oh, pro- difficult to obviously see this about you know, looking at each other to show you. But it's so that you don't put so much pressure down on the butter that you get clumps. Because obviously if, everything's, if you're going down into the bowl, you're pushing down. Whereas if you're yeah. mixing upwards, you're using yes, less pressure and less force uh, to do it. So the theory behind it is that you don't get clumpy lumps in your, in your breadcrumbs. But there were moments during this this dumpling creation and historically i've always made suet dumplings i've not made dumplings uh. just with butter and flour so there were times when i was doing this thinking hmm this isn't coming together as much as i'd like so it did take a while to get there but then there was just that moment where it just changed appearance in the bonus case of now we're getting there i'm going to pick your brains on suet in a moment but that's a really good tip actually with the the direction that you mix uh the ingredients together uh the other thing, just before we get to the suet thing, so I've heard a couple of people say that now, it asked for you to add a splash of water, right? Yes. And at that point, I'm like, how much is a splash? <laughs> so I, I'm quite literal with ingredients and recipes and things. So when it says to add a splash of water, I'm like, what? How much is a splash? Is this a splash? Like, can I add too much? Can I add too little? Um, can I get a bit hung up on those things? So... But going back to the suet, I've had about three or four different people. I've kind of mentioned what we're cooking, you know, week to week to people that I talk to. And each person said, oh, you'll be using suet then, will you? Which I had no idea. I've never made dumplings before in the past. So I have no, you know, um, kind of preconception of how they should be made. But yeah, quite a few people have said this to me. So suet is like a lard, like a fatty ingredient, is it, I guess? It is, yeah. And it's supposed to give you really light and fluffy uh, dumplings on the inside. So essentially, if you use a suet dumpling, um, 
you can either continue your stews or casseroles if you're having dumplings with the lid on and they stay soft all round, or if you leave the lid off, they go crunchy on the top and the bits that are submerged in the stew or the um, or the casserole then get soft and full of the flavour from um, from there. So they're but they're squidgy in the middle. So again, they can mop up gravy, they can mop up the mop up the sauce. So right, yeah, because for me, and we'll get to kind of how it was to eat overall. Um, for me, the dumplings were, and you know, possibly because I cooked them too long, I don't know, but I just did it as per the instructions. Um, it came out a little bit dry. so It was I, like having a scone. Yeah. Or a biscuit. It was. Yeah, it was like having a, a scone floating around in your stew, which I'm not necessarily complaining about. That's just the facts. But yeah, it's uh, more of a scone-like consistency. Because I have had dumplings in the past, again, not cooked myself. Um, and they were certainly different, and that must be where you know suet is involved, I suppose. I would definitely, if I would, if you know, if any time I make dumplings, I would always lean towards suet, especially after this this recipe experience, because it's just my it's just my preference for the softness and how it. I think claggy would not be the correct word to use, but I just like how gooey they get with the the sauce and mix everything in whereas this was certainly more of a a drier dumpling which worked well with with the sauce and the texture of the stew that we'd create and it was beautiful in presentation lovely color obviously you know you're chucking 500 ml of red wine into a into a dish so the color's always going to look really nice and vibrant and the smell of it the aroma of it was was out of this world but it was very much a di- <laughs> to qu- using a football term. It's very much a dinner of two halves. The stew element was really, really good, really flavorful. The lamb had melted over the three hours of cooking that we'd done for it. The 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 sauce that was with it was really, really good. But then the dumpling was just a bit too dry th- for it. And as it wasn't exactly a really, really wet stew, hmm. um. It didn't counteract the dryness of the dumpling for the the one that I made. Yeah, no, I agree. The um, the sauce or the, the gravy, should I say, um, and the meat was really nice. the The meat was really tender, obviously, with the the process of cooking it for uh, slow and low. It just helps to tenderize that meat and makes it really soft. Um, and the sauce as well, again, with the red wine and the tomato based gravy. Uh, with the combination of the onions, carrots, um, rosemary, and the freshly stolen—no, I mean foraged—bay leaf <laughs> was was delicious. Um, but yeah, for me, the dumplings were a little on the dry side. They kind of crumbled and fell apart a little bit there. Um, Amy was happy. She her comment was top draw. So you know that sounds good. Um, so you know the Huntley household, fifty percent was completely satisfied um but for myself the dumplings were a little dry um do you think you'd cook this dish against you probably not this specific dish if i were going to cook it i'd definitely substitute the jamie oliver dumplings just for standard suet dumplings which is obviously just your suet mixed with a bit of water a bit of flour roll them into balls always make sure you've got floury hands though because obviously they'll be a bit uh, sticky uh, consistency Oh, that's um, a good tip. That's a really good tip. I had that. I didn't put flour in my hands, and I was rolling the the uh, the dumplings, and they do come up a uh, sticky and a little bit spiky. If you know what I mean, where the the flour kind of sticks and stretches to your hands. Um, 
Great, another tip there, Stu. You're on fire today, mate. <laughs> but I think if I were to do it again, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the meat. There's nothing wrong with the, the, the flavour of it. It's And I think the thing here is it, it just follows the standard, as we've said previously. It follows the standard base of any stew. You've got a meat. You've got some veg. You're going to slow cook it on a low temperature for a prolonged period of time. And then you serve it with mash, greens, dumplings, and, and you're off to the races. It's very difficult to do a bad slow-cooked stew. As long as you've got, as I said, the core ingredients, so you've got your veg base, which will normally be onion, carrot, put some nice meat in, and then, and then you're off to the races. Obviously, we're heading into spring and summertime, so stews and casseroles aren't going to really be uh, a main factor. But again, this made enough portions to freeze. So um, had I not revisited it and eaten an extra portion <laughs> later that evening, we could have had a separate dinner later <laughs> l- later in the week. But and that goes show it was nice enough for me to go back in the evening for a, for a second helping of it. That's always a good sign, isn't it? Yeah, we um, we actually changed the ratio slightly so there was just enough for the two of us uh, for one serving. Um, but that was a great dish, really simple to cook. Uh, great way to use up any leftover meats or vegetables that you that you have. Um, and yeah, more of a sort of a winter comfort sort of food, which actually happened to be the ideal situation over the past few days in the UK. It has been very cold. We had a glimmer of sunshine and warmth last week, but it seems to have kind of turned again. Um, we're still getting the sun, but it's not so much warmth. Um, so, yeah, we enjoyed it. Probably would change the meat. We don't necessarily have a great deal of lamb, really. We don't eat that much of it. Um, so possibly use it, you know, do a similar dish with different meats. And, yeah, might have a crack at the uh, the dumplings with, a, with the suet as an ingredient as well. Um, what I will say, just kind of a sidebar here, the welfare of lambs, and this is just an opinion, it's not any research or anything like that, but welfare of lambs, kind of linking back to some of the stuff we've talked about animal welfare in the past, for me, just from a visual point of view, seems like some of the best welfare, I'd say, because they do live their life um, out in fields um, with fresh grass, so, you know, actual food as opposed to kind of pellet, which can can contain sort of all sorts of stuff um with their mums um and yeah from that point of view you know i think it's quite a good meat to eat if you are concerned about welfare as opposed to you know cows and chickens and things that can be um looked after in different ways in um, cramped environments and things like that so i guess if we're looking at welfare point of view lamb is a good route to go down and it and it was fitting for for an easter um recipes we obviously celebrate Easter sunday i was cooking this dish as i went off and started a new exercise program uh for part of the body guy project so now we've got birthdays out of the way i've got my wife's birthday out of the way my daughter's birthday out of the way easter out of the way there's nothing extravagant or big events that are happening in the next few months so i can now focus purely on eating i can focus purely on my exercise so i started something called turbo fire which is another one of these beach body uh, fitness programs for the next 90 days i went into my garage to work out um obviously it'd been a, a few days since i'd been in there i'd been moving some stuff around so obviously i had to go through the whole hassle of trying to get my home gym set up again move stuff around to get it lined up everything enough space to work out and do what i wanted to do so if you've been struggling at home um to move stuff around you'll probably be elated that next week uh, as we're recording this uh gyms 
are reopening in England. So if you are listening to us in England, you're craving to go back to the gym and you're getting fed up having to move things around every time you want to exercise, you must be extremely excited to be able to get back in the gym and start clanging and banging. But don't (laughs) bang because don't drop the weights. Always put them down. Yes, as as a fitness professional, someone who actually will be returning to work next Monday on the 12th of April in the UK when gyms reopen, yeah, please don't chuck your weights around and put them back afterwards as well. It is much appreciated. Um, so, yeah, as Stu mentioned, obviously he's on his own journey with the Body Guy project. And I'm sure many of you will also be looking at different ways to perhaps return to your uh, former levels of fitness or start a new program. And with gyms opening and the days are starting to uh, stay lighter for longer. Um, yeah, we're looking at different ways to stay fit. Um or again, maybe just find ways to kind of maintain what you've already achieved during lockdown. And if you've managed to stay active during lockdown, well done. That's a fantastic achievement. Um, I know it's very hard to get motivated sometimes when you're at home all the time and things like that. So congratulations and keep it up. Um, but the most important aspect of health and fitness um, when you're entering into a program, and you know this as well as I do, Stu, is consistency. Um but unfortunately, being consistent uh, is the part that trips many of us up. So kind of that yo-yo approach to diet and exercise can often lead to disappointing lack of results and dwindling motivation as well. So, you know, I'm sure much like myself, you've perhaps struggled with this in the past, you. Yeah, I think the problem is, and we touched on it um, on last week's episode, it's when you don't see those results instantly so you go for maybe two weeks of calorie counting working hard doing exercise working at the gym and you step on the scales and nothing's changed but that's the part where you become demoralized to it that's why scales and how you pick your measurements if you want to go back and listen to sort of some ideas that we had last week go back and listen to in in our archive um it does get a bit soul destroying because obviously if you're on this this quest to do it you don't want to put all this effort in because i think we can all agree it's a lot easier to gain weight than it is to lose it absolutely and you know many many of us do struggle with that i mean i'm possibly the only person who has the opposite thing i actually struggle to keep weight on um which might this sounds weird to mention perhaps but i i do have a fast metabolism and i do uh enjoy being not overweight but kind of being a bit chunkier uh, than my frame would perhaps suggest um so yeah i do find that actually you know i'm one of those weird guys that over christmas i'll be eating all the same sort of junk food and everything else that everyone else is but i happen to lose weight weirdly um but i think a lot of my weight comes from muscle mass so as well not eating properly or working out things like that's when i can start to lose weight a bit there um but you know in terms of motivation we're all you know, guilty of seeing our good intentions slide away. And we, you know, easily find excuses to slack off. Um, and yet we know in our, you know, heart of hearts that really we do feel a whole lot better when we're being active. So it's, you know, good for our, not just physical health, but mental health as well. But this being a food podcast, uh, you know, what we've had or haven't had to eat does play an important role in helping us to you know, swap the sofa for the gym on a regular basis. So, this is our guide to fueling your return to the gym, just making sure that we're you know, eating the right things and 
in turn helping us to stay motivated. Um, you know, eating for exercise is fundamental to success and maintaining the desire and energy levels to get your trainers on and go do a workout. Um, you know, we've spoken on previous episodes about the importance of generally having a healthy, balanced diet, but making these choices will also make exercise more appealing. So with what you're doing, Stu, with your um, body guide project, have you looked at sort of meal planning and things like that? Do you, you know, have a rough idea of what you want to do there? Yeah, so I set out for this week ahead and for the next few weeks. Um, again, I always find it easier when the weather is a little bit warmer because you've just got a little bit more options of what you can eat because you're not going to want to eat a salad if it's freezing cold. You don't want to go and stand in the cold kitchen cutting up cucumber tomatoes and spring onions just to go, ugh. Um, but I tend to try and eat at the same time every day i try and have lunch at the same time every day the only thing that is out of kilter for me at the moment which i was going to pick your brain about as well is that on the days that my daughter is not at nursery uh, we try and eat together as a family to promote you know eating the same food getting it all together but that would mean i'd be eating my dinner at five half past five Whereas if my daughter's been at nursery and we've been at work, I'm not eating my dinner till half past seven. So there are like my dinner time will fluctuate um, throughout the week, which also means my exercise time fluctuates out the week. So breakfast and lunch is set at the moment. It's either porridge or toast for breakfast. I have um, a protein shake uh, for lunch uh, to keep things ticking along. I will have supplemented with sort of fruits or nuts throughout the for a morning snack and an afternoon snack, and then sort of a more wholesome dinner but it's that um it's also making sure what i find personally is hydration because especially in my job where i'm i'm desk based i'm office based i find that if i then go and have the opportunity to go and work out if i'm dehydrated my performance for like a half hour 40 minute workout is pants in comparison to i've been drinking a lot of water throughout the day yeah and h2o and water for hydration is massively important so make sure if you are just generally anyway just make sure you are drinking plenty of water but if you are active and entering to a new exercise program increase your water intake as well so you are covering your um, the amount that you need because through exercise you're obviously going to sweat more and therefore you need to top those levels up and um, whilst exercising as well it's important just to have water with you um but don't drink too much just have like little sips as you go um the other thing with drinks and recovery you i'm sure you've seen these um sort of isotonic drinks and things like that that claim to help with your recovery and um i've got absolutely nothing against them but don't feel like you need to reach for one if your sessions are kind of moderate about an hour long they're really designed for longer possibly more intense sessions um so if you're i don't know entering let's let's talk about our world what we know here Stu. so if we are you know going to a wrestling training session it can last you know anywhere from two to three hours and it's quite intense pretty consistent um that's when we might want to reach for a sports recovery drink just to help us kind of keep ticking over as we go but if we're in the gym and we're there for an hour, really just sips of water we do there. And then either side, 
make sure you're having enough to, throughout the day as well. So it does depend on your weight and your activity levels, but the general consensus, general rule of thumb is kind of two to three liters per day. And I find that it's it's easy to monitor that because I've got um, a big water bottle that I've got with me on my desk now, even as we speak. So I know that I need to get through three of these a day to make sure that I'm there and I see it essentially I, I have to try and finish one before I have a meal. So I'll always drink my water in the morning, breakfast around nine o'clock. I'll have another bottle of water, drink it all through before dinner. I'll have another bottle of water, see me through till dinner time. And then obviously more water and liquids um, in the evening. And it's the sort of thing that if I haven't kept up my fluid intake, then it's a case of, right, well, before I have lunch, I'll just drink the rest of this bottle of water that's there. And I know that just works for me. It probably won't work for you know for, for other people, but it's, it's how I've got my routine set at the moment. And and genuinely, I found like yesterday. Um, so obviously, I started this new workout um, program, this Turbo Fire. So it's quite intense. There's no breaks into it for the the whole forty minutes. You're continually active, which is nice. And then a ten minute stretch um, to finish. I found on Monday, bank holiday, I was drinking my water throughout the day as I'd planned. Yesterday, I had mostly meetings throughout the afternoon. I always find that if you're on a, on a video meeting, it looks a bit rude if you're going to sit there and sort of start guzzling water or drink if you're on a call with colleagues or, or clients. So I didn't drink any. Then I went in, started working out and I hadn't drunk that extra litre of water. And sluggish would be a mild understatement for that session. Yeah, it's an amazing thought how different lack of water can make you feel so it's brilliant to help you concentrate it's brilliant to pick up your energies as well and just finding that routine and there are bottles with Stu saying measurements on the side as well so you know exactly how much you're having each day um the other thing that will help give us energy is carbohydrates obviously so carbs are stored as glycogen in the body and that's our main source for fuel um so sometimes carbs get vilified and and perhaps have a bad light shone onto them but actually they're really the, the core principle of energy for the body and how it produces energy but it's looking at getting the good carbs so we've touched on bits in the past and this is kind of a nice summary really um, but we're looking at whole grains and whole meal foods um, and vegetables and fruits uh, beans you know as opposed to bad carbs, which are foods that have refined um, and processed uh, elements to them. So, uh, I don't know, Cadbury's cream eggs, for example, is not necessarily the best way to fuel your um, your workout. Um, so, you know, when I don't cooking... Be- I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Um, although I think it might be my main source of fuel for the next few weeks. Um, so... You know, when cooking, you know, try to go for other options such as whole grain rice um, and pastas uh, in recipes instead of, you know, the white rices. And if you're looking for a snack, you know, enjoy a uh, saturated fat-free snack such as fruit um, and homemade fruit smoothies as well. Um, if you fancy something sweet, um, again, cream eggs probably not the best uh, source of a, a, a saturated fat-free snack for sure. And I think this is all good stuff for heading back into the the gym. So I said they open in England on Mondays. Just make sure if it's been a while since you guys have been in there, make sure you stretch, make sure you warm up, as Matt said, and we've just said on the on the pod, 
lots of water and also just be courteous of other gym users because again there's likely to be in some gyms a mass influx of people make sure you do your sets make you do your thing but also be considerate others you know there's there's times i've been to the gym and i've just wanted to use the squat rack and someone's just stood there for the whole hour of my gym session (laughs) using the squat rack and it's like come on mate just (laughs) let other people have a play so just be a bit you know considerate if it's part of your training program just make sure you book out some time don't go at busy times if you're going to do it um i know that's a selfish thing from my standpoint that's just my viewpoint if i knew i'd need the squat rack for for an hour i wouldn't go at lunchtime (laughs) <laughs> to, to make sure other people couldn't use it and yeah. it's just be being safe and always ask the people at the gym because if there's certain goals or things you want to achieve or also things that you've never used before and want to like the free weights area it isn't as scary as people think it is don't just think it's you know muscle bound knuckleheads there throwing weights around it's a great way to get fit um, doing in the free weights area if it's something you want to just go and speak to the guys who are in your in your local gym and they'll point you in the right direction of what you need to do yeah absolutely the free weight area is a great you know part of any exercise program and if, again not sure go speak to a uh, fitness professional and any gym you know worth their salt will have um, fitness professionals qualified people to be able to help you out of these things as well. So don't be afraid to go and talk to them. And if you are having you know, particularly intense workouts, um, aside from water and carbs, the other thing to look at is getting your protein right as well. So it's something we've talked about in the past. And because you know we've talked about how protein you know, helps to repair and strengthen our tissues, um, but also once the glycogen stores from our carb intake are depleted, the body will actually turn the protein um to bump up the energy levels as well so you know again eating meat fish chicken eggs um can really help ensure that you have enough supplies um and our vegetarian friends as well try to back up your energy levels uh, and tissue repair capabilities um with dishes that contain lots of pulses nuts and seeds the other thing to think about is and this kind of goes back to the whole foods um low gi foods are great as well so low uh, glycemic index uh, which basically kind of a a guide for how quickly the body processes the food to turn into energy and again we're looking at things um, like grains and oats so porridge um, whole foods instead of white foods uh, you know whole grain rice instead of white rice for example Um, sweet potatoes uh, they slowly release the energy into your body so you know have them ideally sort of two hours before working out and then you have that slow release energy as you're exercising and if you haven't got time for that if you're sort of person wants to get up and exercise just have a small piece of fruit beforehand you know just to kind of give you that quick burst of energy Um, and then make sure you top up your energy levels afterwards by having a nice uh, a nice meal uh, involving low gi index foods as well so uh, yeah the other thing is Go on, Stu, what are you going to say there? Oh, no, 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 go, go ahead, because I was going to transition, so go ahead with what you were going to say. <laughs> well, just, you know, not just food, is it, but we are looking at ways to keep ourselves motivated. So that's, you know, food for fuel in terms of going back to your exercise routines, whether it's going to be in a gym or uh, maybe outside exercise as well. It's going to become more popular as we sort of enter into summer. But find something that you enjoy doing okay don't feel like you have to slog away on a treadmill if you don't enjoy it 
don't do it. There's always going to be something that you do enjoy exercise-wise, whether it's joining a club to play a specific sport or finding a preferred um, approach to exercise that you enjoy. So, for example, my preferred combination is to do HIT for my cardio and weight training for my strength. Um, and I, I really enjoy that, and that's how I, for the most part, remain consistent. Um, but find what you enjoy, and it makes it a hell of a lot easier to remain consistent. That's important because I, some people always go out and go, oh, I'll do couch to 5K, which is a great base point for people starting to get back into fitness. But a lot of people find running so dull. And I, and I, I agree. You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to sit there and go, and I've got a lot of respect for people who train and go out for marathons and half marathons. But I can't think of anything worse than running continually for like three hours. It fills my mind with dread. If anything, it helps motivate you. If you're trying to run a 5K and you hate it so much, you're going to up your speed because you just want to get it done faster. <laughs> but I find things like cycling is good for me as you know again weight training and for me doing these classes and clubs i know there seems to be a thing especially for men like these these body pump and these fitness classes they seem to think oh it's just for for ladies chaps it, it isn't you know it's a great way to exercise and also because you're in a class everyone's in the same boat as you you have I find that I have more fun doing these sort of remote classes. I think we, you know, we've mentioned in the past we've got Apple Watches and sort of Apple Fitness are doing like uh, a trial uh, free period for that, so you can experience some of these classes as well if you've got uh, if you're on an Apple device. And it's just something a bit different. If you lack motivation but want to get fit in these classes, I think it really does help people have that degree of teamwork and involvement so if it's not team sports for you but you like training alone try some of these online classes i think there's this joe wicks does stuff um there's lots of places to look online uh, there is for, for these classes and there's a certain amount of psychology as to why group exercise works because you're part of something you don't want to let the others down if that makes sense so i mean i know we're not able to exercise in groups physically at the moment but even the online classes still have that same effect but, you know, if you do struggle to exercise alone, whether you be male or female, um, and things start to open up again, I think in May we're going to start looking at opening up um, group exercise classes, all being well, obviously, um, with the roadmap. But, yeah, group exercise is great. There is psychology to it. You don't want to let the team down, as it were. Um, you, you're, It's a competitive element as well, to a certain extent. So you kind of want to keep up with the class you don't want to miss out the fear of missing out um so yeah group exercise is a great way to uh, approach exercise if you're not sure of how to enter into it in the first place because you're going to have a team around you of sorts and you're going to have an instructor as well so really good way forward um but you know relating to our food for fuel will this week's recipe fuel us for our next workout it will. And it's interesting, obviously, we mentioned things like beans and pulses being sort of quite important for these. I see this as uh, an excellent uh, meal to have either after working out or just as part of a, a family meal. So this week, we are going to be cooking Tom Kerridge's spicy Mexican bean burgers. Oh, that sounds I good. I wanted to do something with a bit of spice in it, something a bit of kick, something that all of our listeners could go through. So obviously by going for a veggie dish this time, we've got things like onions, red peppers, jalapenos, cumin, kidney beans, cooked lentils. Um, 
and you get to make your own sort of sour cream and chipotle sauce to go with it um as well so we'll post that out on our social media platform so yep spicy mexican bean burgers is this week's recipe of the week I can tell you now, this is going to be a big success in the Huntley household, particularly with Mrs. Huntley. She's a big fan of um, spicy bean burgers and the and the like. Um, so yeah, looking forward to making our own version. Where can people follow your cooking and life exploits on social media? Uh, yeah, so if you want to see see me stick three cream eggs into my gob at once, uh, you can catch up with me on at Coach Wicked on Twitter, um, but also go check us out on that at that food pod on twitter instagram and facebook and as Stu mentioned previously if you get a moment give us some uh five stars on uh reviews on the podcast app of your choice as well and it really does help um other people see what we're doing um i'm at the Stuart miller on twitter uh, come and see the terrible things that i cook but most importantly interact with us on our podcast we're at that food pod across all social media platforms we will get the crumble poll up um in the next couple of hours after this has been released but more importantly then we'll do another follow-up poll about chocolate in the fridge or in the cupboard as well (laughs) so we'll see where where the world lies on that one really hitting the important issues as always (laughs) well thanks for joining us this week everyone uh we hope you enjoyed cooking uh this week's recipe of the uh the, the lamb stew if you t- made it, send us a photograph on our social media and we'll share it out to everyone who follows us. Cheers, guys. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye.